Thursday Finance with Stephen Pritchard joining me, Jane Klein. And today we're going to take a look at the ins and outs of capital gains tax. Now, it's a little bit nebulous for many of us, so let's have a look at it and find out what's happening. We'll also have our market snapshot with Henry Jennings and see what currencies and commodities are doing and, uh, well, it seems that car sales are on the increase and are helping the economy. Let's find out about that too. And a welcome to Stephen Pritchard with uh, the answer, I hope, or a comment at least, to the, the news report that's come in that car sales seem to be driving the economy at the moment in Australia. Um, interesting. Oh, I don't know if they're driving the economy. Um, the, car, the car sales are uh, uh, car sales are up in the last two um, the June quarter. I mean, there's a number of reasons for that. I mean, a lot of the car dealers had end of year promotions on. Um, some of them had special deals for businesses for cars or vehicles at 19999, which they got the 100% um, write off. And of course, the other thing is that people who are, who are a bit aware of what's happening in the world will realise that over the last few years, the uh, value of um, or the sale price of imported cars has fallen in line with the Australian dollar. So, so the dollar was around a dollar, uh, US to a dollar, and most international contracts are written in US dollars, and now we're down at 70 cents. So, so as those old um, forward exchange contracts flow through the um, market, um, you'd expect in the next uh, you know, six to 18 months, you're going to see the price of cars um, start to rise, maybe even up by up to 20% for imported cars. So, so I think a lot of people have, uh, are thinking about that and, and getting in and buying their cars um, before the fall in the Australian dollars reflected in the, in the car sale price. And, and Australian car manufacturing's forecast to come to an end as well. Mm, yes. Yes. Mm. Yes. Alas, 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 poor manufacturing. We knew him well. Yes, yeah. and that's going to, you know, there's going to be massive job losses as a result of that, I'm sure. Mm. So, um, speaking about prices, how are commodities? Commodities? At the moment? Oh, commodities are lots of red colours all over the sheet here. Um, gold was down. Uh, 1.2% for the week to 1,476 cents a ounce. Uh, silver was down by 2.2% or 19, to $19.81 an ounce. Uh, copper was down to 7,090. Um, by, by, to, by 2.7%. Don't laugh, Jan. And nickel, nickel was down by 4.8% to 14,416. And tin was down by 4% to $21,417 a tonne. So, so all the metals, both the uh, precious metals and the manufacturing metals, um, have all fallen in value over the the last uh, week. So we can't really get any insight to the economy from those directions. So does that have, uh, is that reflected in the Australian economy generally because so much of our, our things are exported Materials, oh, no. Only short term. Short I mean, term. if the trend keeps if the trend keeps going, yes, it will be. Um, but you've also got to factor in is the exchange rate movements as well. If the exchange rate goes down, which which did last week, um, that can negate a lot of the fall in the commodity prices. Mm. Um, the exchange rate actually went up for the week. Um, we're we're up one percent against the US dollar to seventy three cents. Um, we're up to up almost 1% on the Great British Pound to 47 pence and the 
Chinese currency yuan, we're up uh, 1% to 4.56, and we're also up against the euro of 1% to 67.42. So the currency improved around, our relative currency rate improved around the world, which is a good thing if you're planning to go on a trip overseas. Mm. And or buying uh, overseas goods and services. Um, the equity markets were a lot better than last week. We, we were not covered in red like we were last week. The Australian market was up uh, just under 1% to 5,659. Uh, the US Dow was down to 17,540 by just over 1%. Um, there's some concern in the US that uh, the Federal Reserve is going to raise interest rates in the next quarter and uh, that's going to have an effect on US corporations' profits. So, so that's why one of the reasons why the US market's starting to fall a bit. And the UK market was up almost 2%, and the Hang Seng, which is a bit of a barometer for the Chinese market, was down about half a percent on the week. Now, um, there seem to be an awful variety or a big variety in petrol prices at the Bowser. How's the oil price going? Well, the oil price is falling, you know, you know. It, it's just looking at this, we're almost down $15 a barrel since the 1st of July. So the oil price was actually down 8% on the week. We were this in a minute. It was down 8% on the week to $61.38 a barrel. I mean, that, that's partly because um, the, the Iran's supposed to start exporting um, between half a million and a million barrels a day. There's projected that there's already a 3 million barrel a day oil surplus so um, the only way that that's going to be solved is the price of oil will continue to fall until the marginal producers uh, can no longer produce the similar things happening in the iron ore market and then the price will steady and, and then go back up but, but while there's surplus production the price fall is going to continue to fall but of course the petrol at the Bowser moved the other way as Jane's already found out, she must have filled up um, this morning um, Courtesy the NRMA, it was a dollar forty-one a litre, which is up three point three cents, three percent in Newcastle, and in Sydney it was a dollar thirty-nine a litre, which is also up three point eight percent. So there's only a two cents a litre difference between Sydney and Newcastle, which is yeah, okay, mm. I suppose. Mm. And diesel. And diesel, um, diesel was down down point two cents, um, which to a dollar thirty four a litre and in Sydney a dollar twenty nine cents per litre, so there's not much really variation in diesel. So the crude oil price is, is dropping so you'd expect sooner or later that's gonna flow through to or you would hope it's going to flow through to the refined oil price that we're paying at the Bowser. This is Thursday Finance on 2NURFM for our sponsor, Pritchard and & Partners, and it's, I reckon it's market snapshot time as we're joined, Stephen Pritchard, by Henry Jennings from Marcus Today. Hi, Henry. Hi, Stephen. How are you this morning? I'm good and good. It's a bit cool up here. What's it down like in Sydney? It's a bit cool down here as well. Sun's out, the sky is blue, but it is a little chilly. That's chilly here. Um, and it's a bit chilly down at Federation Centres by the sound of it. The, uh, oh, yes. the, the CEO seems to have been given the door. Well, it's, it's, it's a bit odd, actually. I have to say the market was a little surprised by this. A guy by the name of Stephen Sewell um, put together uh, a couple of big businesses, Centro Properties and, and Novian, to form this new um, mega sort of property trust called Federation Centres. Um, he was the architect of this. The business has just been consummated, all going well, and the board has decided that he's not the man to 
now run the business and they've given the job to um, one of the Novian uh, guys, Angus uh, McNaughton. So um, a little bit surprising, um, and the market certainly didn't take it particularly well. The market hates surprises. They hate it when CEOs leave uh, suddenly. Um, they always smell that uh, something is, is afoot. But, um, yeah, so the, the stock's fallen back about 6 7 8% in the last few days. Yeah, it also raises issues that, that, that with the, what was said to the court when the scheme of arrangement was approved that um, mm. Stephen was supposed to have led the business and now a couple of you know months, if, if that, later, the board's decided that that's not the case, you know, where the, where the shareholder's not completely informed at the time. Wait and see. And then, of course, CBA's announced that um, that that's restricting um, off-the-plan lending. Yeah. I mean, this is another one of the big banks that's looking, I guess, pressure from the uh, the RBA and APRA to uh, to kind of prick the bubble that is the, the housing market. And we've seen a number of banks moving uh, to raise rates from investor loans. Um, and also, uh, CBA is looking at, uh, as you say, cracking down on off-the-plan lending. Again, this has been one of the, I guess, one of the, the speculative bubbles and at the end of the day. If you, I don't know, from, uh, from my own experience back in the UK, um, you know, the Docklands, when it was really hot and fantastic, um, before, as it was being built, you could buy a, one of the units on a 10% deposit. So, you know, if prices are going up, why buy just one unit? Why not buy 10 units? And therefore, you've got a you know, 100% committed. So it's all well and good. Um, but you have got exposure to 10 units, and of course when things go bad, um, suddenly you're four seller of, uh, of 10 rather than four seller of one. So uh, it's, it's not a good look, and obviously uh, APRA and the RBA trying to, uh, trying to t- take some of the steam out of the property market and CBA joining the cause. Yeah, I've noticed that there's a couple of unit blocks in Newcastle uh, very near completion that were sold off the plan, so it's going to be yeah. interesting to see what happens when they have to settle in the next couple of months, I'd imagine. Yes, I mean, so I've just spent, uh, as you know, five five weeks down in Melbourne, and the, and the apartment market in Melbourne is uh, is going uh, gangbusters. There seem to be um, apartments going up everywhere, far more than Sydney, although uh, Barangaroo is obviously at the focal point, mm-hmm. as is Parramatta as well. Mm-hmm. And then Australia's biggest mourning insurer has, has warned that there's going to be increased uh, delinquencies. Yeah, this is, this is uh, Glenworth Insurance, which uh, does uh, mortgage insurance for those people that uh, haven't got the required deposit. Um, and they are warning, well, the figures came out yesterday and the stock got smacked actually today, whereas yesterday it was okay. Um, but they've been warning that um, they're seeing some uh, some delinquencies rising in uh, in mining towns across Western Australia and Queensland, which I guess is as you would expect, given the slowdown in uh, in the mining sector, and we you know we're seeing that across the board still, with commodities falling, um, the oil price falling, the iron oil price falling. So um, it's it's not really good news out there in, in resource land, and this is obviously feeding through to uh, to house prices there and subsequently delinquencies. Yeah, that, that's um, I know up the valley here. Um, I mean, you know, some of the mining towns, uh, the price of uh, real estates, uh, residential real estates, dropped dramatically if you can find a buyer at all. Yeah. And then yeah. the the other side of the coin, interesting, was that uh, a Bunnings warehouse in Swan Hill sold on a, a lower yield of five point one percent. I, I've, uh, you know, yeah, I, I, just, I, I just find that amazing. I find that amazing as well. I, I, I saw um, that when you sent it through this morning. I had a little look to just to check, and yes, you're, you're absolutely right. It's um, 
it is a very low um, 5.1%. I think he paid about 10, 10 million bucks for the, for the site. Uh, I mean, his rationale is that it's a good tenant, good long-term tenant, and he's actually looking to add uh, more um, Bunnings sites to his portfolio. He's also a shareholder of West Farmers, so he obviously likes Bunnings. Maybe he just likes wandering around on a Saturday morning getting advice from uh, middle-aged mm. men who, who try and avoid you at all costs. Yeah, I just, you know, just, uh, I just wonder whether that's you know, just too low a price. Anyhow. Well, I guess you know, they are a secure tenant, and... Uh, I suppose they're one of the, the, the few secure tenants now around. You know, it, it used to be that banks were secure tenants, but uh, you know, you'll drive through a country town or, or, or any sort of uh, suburb in, in a metropolitan area and you see that banks are, are still closing um, and they're not the tenants they were. I know, you know where I live on the northern beaches near, near you guys, um, you know, we, we've had a number of banks closing or, or completely changing their format. So, you know, maybe Bunnings is the, uh, the blue chip uh, the blue chip tenant now. Mm, mm, mm. And then, of course, the other blue chip department stores record its best retail sales growth in eight years. Yeah, it's good. I mean, David Jones has got a new South African owner called Woolworths, which is no relation to the uh, to the Australian Woolworths, and and they, they seem to be doing quite well. Myers, um, not quite so well, and there is a bit of a, um, I guess, there's a bit of a new strategy. To, Starting to take shape at Myers with the, the new man at the helm, but uh, but David Jones seemed to be uh, heading in the right direction. We've seen some improved consumer confidence figures in the last day or so, and we've also seen some good uh, retail spending figures uh, in the last day or so. Although that's not really feeding through uh, into food yeah. Um, yeah. for Woolies or for uh, for Coles, but certainly in electronics and those sorts of things, which I guess have been a beneficiary of the. Uh, of the get-out-and-have-a-go-Joe budget. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, perhaps the previous directors of David Jones can come back and explain to us how new management can manage to turn the business around in 18 months when they couldn't consider well, all the money uh, they were paid. It's, uh, it's a bit sad. I mean, you've only got to look back at uh, oh, a couple of years ago when Woolworths were in charge of Dick Smith yeah. and they made a complete hodgepodge of that and eventually sold it to... Uh, to private equity for, for virtually nothing, and then uh, private equity came back uh, not so long ago and relisted it back on the market for a massive price as they turned the business around so quickly. Um, so you've got to kind of you have to worry about some of the uh, some so of the local well, management in yeah. these retail businesses. They're, they're very good to uh, to blame the internet and online, whereas I think the, the issues go more to the core of uh, of what they buy and how they sell it. Yeah, so we'll just continue continue this after a moment. Thursday Finance for our sponsor, Pritchard and & Partners, and we're in the middle of our market snapshot, Stephen Pritchard, with Henry Jennings from um, Marcus Today. Henry. Hi. Uh, we might just, speaking of David Jones and Maya, they seem, the staffing seems to be going in opposite directions now. <laughs> Maya's going to reduce the number of permanent staff while David Jones is going to increase them. I think that's it at all, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it does um, it does say a lot about the, the different strategies that these two companies are adopting. You know, and we're seeing that David Jones at the moment is is kind of showing a clean uh, a clean set of uh, heels. And so, yeah, I, I think you know, at the end of the day, when you go into a store, you want to find someone that can help you and someone to pay. And someone to take the money off you. Someone to take the money off you because. Uh, you know, that's sometimes um, quite hard to do in a, in a, in a Myers store. Mm, mm. 
And so while we're on retail, the grocery, grocery sales growth has been the weakest in um, almost two years. I mean, that, that, is that because they've started to cut the prices? I mean, it just talks in dollars. It doesn't actually talk in items sold. So that must have some effect, I would have thought. Oh, I would think so. I mean, I, I can't believe it's just a price-based thing, but, you know, we've always imagined, I guess, the, the conventional wisdom that, that uh, grocery stores are kind of immune to uh, economic cycles. People have always got to eat. But there is considerable sort of price pressure, I guess, in terms of uh, you know, the Aldis now and the Costco's and all these other people that are biting at the, he- at the heels of West Farmers and, uh, mm. and Woolworths. So um, it's probably not a, not a good sign for these guys. Um, but uh, whether it is uh, a result of pricing pressure, I suspect that's more the case as opposed to people eating less and, and buying less in supermarkets. Yeah, well, people are still going to eat. People are still going to eat. Still going to eat. Yeah. Um, and then the Russians apparently have hacked into some Comsec and E-Trade accounts. <laughs> yeah. And put I mean, trades on. I know, it's, it's, it's frightening, isn't it? I guess it's just a salutary lesson that, um, you know, nowhere is really, um, you know, really safe from, from, from hackers. And, uh, you know, it's, it's somewhat worrying, I guess, um, to see this happening, but it's, inevitable in this day and age, especially yeah, it seems from Russia or it's either Russia or China, China seems to be preoccupied with hacking into uh, into US defense systems and US um, intellectual property from from uh, mm-hmm. technology companies whereas the Russians are, uh, probably have banks and banks of people in, in, in somewhere um, hacking into, uh, into to try and get you to part with your money. Yes, and, and pay and make, make some money. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and despite um, talk that CBA was going to reach $100 a share, someone else seems to have got there first. Yeah. Um, this was... Uh, CSL has, uh, has uh, managed to do it. It's not the first time CSL's been there. Um, for for uh, listeners with long memories, uh, they probably remember that they got there sort of before the GFC and then split the shares on a one for three. So um, they're back up there again. They breached it... Uh, Yesterday, it actually got to $102.40, and uh, they're back down now to just below 100 bucks, 99.07. but they have well and truly won the race. Um, it, I think it's been estimated that if you invested your money in uh, CSL when they floated in 1994, 21 years ago, um, you're up about 14,000%. Not bad. Great Australian success story. Yeah, there's a, there's a few of these. I mean, there's, I mean, we talk about the manufacturing industry, but there's a few of these other stocks. I mean, there's CSL, there's uh, Cochlear, um, yep. these, these biotech stocks. We, we, people have done very well out of those. People have done very well out of those. Um, you know, it's it's you know, unfortunately with biotech, there can be a bit of a binary yeah, 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 um, right. outcome. Um, but but when but, uh, but generally, I mean, things like Certex have done very well. Blackmores have done exceptionally well. Um, they're, they're absolutely scary. The rise uh, in Blackmores, um, you know, that it wasn't that long ago that I was talking to a client when they were sixty-five dollars, and now they're ninety dollars. Yeah, well, because um, the Chinese are buying them apparently and, and taking it over to China, or the Blackmores products, and taking them over to China and selling them for three and four times the price you can buy them here. Yes, well, I mean, I think that's called arbitrage, global arbitrage. It's, yes, yes, it's a wonderful thing. It's Yes, as long as the yeah, Blackmore share price keeps uh, going the, up. The share price has just gone in a straight line, straight up, um, no turning back. So, yeah, it's extraordinary. And, of course, um, 
now there's Netflix, is, um, <laughs> which we're talking about before, it's now starting to have effect on the pay TV operators in the US, and Foxtel's starting to become worried here. I think they should be worried here. Certainly, you know, you look at the, uh, the amount of streaming services that we, we've now got in Australia. Um, you've got uh, things like Stan, Presto, um, Netflix. You've got Apple TV. All these sorts of things, uh, you know, together with you know, all the all the free-to-air streaming sort of catch-up services like the uh, ABC's one and, and TenPlay, etc. So um, it's going to cannibalise Foxtel's business. I mean, they're going to have to rely pretty much on uh, on their kind of offering in terms of movies and um, and also more importantly, sport, I guess. But um, yeah, they're, they're certainly biting at the heels. If you're paying ten bucks a month for Netflix here. Um, I know it's not the greatest service because I am a Netflix subscriber myself, and you kind of you do run out of uh, of TV series to gorge on, and the movies aren't great. Um, but um, you know, it's ten bucks a month against Foxtel, which is you know the minimum. I think the package they always try and flog you is twenty five bucks on the on the telly, and that gets you the you know the kids channel and the and the cartoon channel and MTV mm. and, and not much else. So um, sport will have to. Uh, be the centrepiece of their offering and it will remain so but uh, certainly there will be some leakage mm. I think from uh, from Foxtel who's um, who's owned as of course uh, Telstra and um, and Rupert Murdoch mm-hmm. and um, just to finish up on your favourite topic um, uh, Spain's now acting <laughs> to avoid becoming another Greece well yeah I mean I, I think it's it's pretty easy to avoid becoming another Greece you've just got to have an industry mm. uh, and some exports and actually uh, you know do some reforms, and, and Spain, Portugal, and Ireland have all done the hard yards on the bailouts, um, and as a result, they've avoided the catastrophe and the disaster that is Greece. And, and, and Greece, you know, although it's off the front page at the moment, it's it's certainly far from settled, um, and they're still, you know, arguing with uh, with various people about how much bailout funds they need. I mean, the, the the real issue is none of the bailout funds really actually goes into the Greek economy. Um, it really just goes back to the banks that lent them the money in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a bit of a round robin. Um, the Greek mm-hmm. economy is completely stuffed um, and will be for years to come. I'm, I'm amazed, actually, that we haven't had a, um, had a uh, sort of a military coup um, or something similar in terms of, you know, a, a civil, civil uprising against these austerity measures because it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty tough, I think, being a, a, yep. a Greek at the moment. And... Uh, they have a history of um, you know, military coups yep. and junta's in the past, and I wouldn't be surprised to see no, that at no, some no, stage no. it... it I, I wouldn't be right. surprised. They've had, they've had some violence in the streets, so it's only another step away. It is. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate, but uh, you know, I think at the moment it's, it's, you know, it's probably on, on a knife edge. The, the sad reality is that it doesn't really have much effect on the rest of the financial world. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's a minnow, and it seems that the... Uh, you know, the European Union is going to stand strong um, regardless of what uh, what happens mm. in Greece. Okay. Well, thanks for that, Henry. We'll Always a pleasure, Stephen. You have a lovely weekend. And, to uh, and to your listeners. This is Thursday Finance for our sponsor, Pritchard & Partners. And Stephen Pritchard, uh, well, we're very happy. If you've got a question you'd like to pop through to Stephen today, 49216216, give us a call. But in the meantime, we're going to talk about capital gains tax. Uh, a bit of a, well, what will we say, a tangled web perhaps? Yeah, I think capital gains tax is one of the most misunderstood and 
taxes and lots of urban myths around it and uh, people get completely confused. I mean, basically, the capital gains tax applies when you sell a, an asset. There, there, there are a few exemptions. Um, the, the major one that people will come into into touch with is um, the principal place of residence. Now, if you, if you have a principal place of residence, um, that's usually exempt from a capital gains tax. Now, there are some instances where, of course, like all our other complex tax legislation, where that's not the case. Now, if, if, you, if you're running a, a principal place of residence, has to be used solely for your residence. Now, if you're running a some kind of business from home, um, you lose the principal place of residence exemption. Altogether? No, no, it needs to be prorated. So, so for example, if, if you're running a, um, uh, what's, a, a, a cookery business from home and you, in, you, you converted your kitchen in, into making um, cupcakes for sale, um, you're running a business out of the house, um, the proportion of the house that's used for um, uh, this manufacturing business and, um, and maybe the bookkeeping business to, to go along with that, then businesses will lose its capital gains tax exemption. So there's a whole lot of apportionment calculations to be done there. What happens if you have a business which only operates for part of the year and so you use part of the house for part of... Can you pro-rata that? Uh, you'd have to pro-rata it. Yeah, you'd have to prorate it. In that you, way. You know, it'd be prorated over the time you actually use it for for business divided by the floor area. So I trust you to come up with something complex. And the other, the other time, I, uh, uh, there's uh, there's other rules that apply. Is, um, there's this six-year exemption rule. So if it's your principal place of residence and then you move out and rent the place out and you don't acquire another residence, um, within um, six years, if you dispose it with six years, there's no capital gains tax payable on that residence. Um, as soon as you acquire a new residence, all that changes and it becomes quite complex again. Mm-hmm. So, so your principal place of residence, while people say it's exempt um, from capital gains tax, that's not always the case. So if you are buying a house and uh, selling a house and buying another one, is it better to sell the house first from the point of view oh, of look, capital? Look, no, no, no. If, you, if, you, if you're buying a house and if you're buying a house and selling another one and, 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 and you know... It's you a, overlap, that's okay. Overlap, that's fine. I mean, okay. you, you know, there's not going to be any change in value. I and mean, capital gains tax is all driven on the change in value. So if you're selling your house and you're buying another one and there's a month's difference, so, you know, there's no, there's, no, there's no CGT liability. But, you know, if we're talking about a year... A year might be different. A year's different, yeah. And it all depends on the facts of when it was rented out and the date of acquisition. Um, Now, the other thing that that people kind of get confused at, and a lot of people come in with us, and and they've decided they're going to do a property development. And they come in and they're doing this property development. They've bought a house and they've bulldozed it and and, and they've built two new duplexes and they're going to sell them off. And they think that's subject to capital gains tax. And why people want to get it subject to capital gains tax is this 50% exemption. But that, that type of transaction is not actually subject to capital gains tax. It's just normal income. They've entered into this as a profit-making scheme um, and it's just assessed at normal rates. So if you're planning on going and doing one of these type of transactions, which I know is very popular at the moment, um, you need to make sure you, you fully understand the tax issues that are involved in that. And then if you're going further and you're going to keep one yourself and then sell the other, it gets even more... More, mm. more complex. How does it get calculated, Steve? Well, basically, uh, um, 
you take the cost of the, the, the asset, which includes the cost of the asset plus any acquisition costs, which, you know, you know, property was an easy one, you'd have stamp duty and legal fees. And then you take the sale consideration, which, you know, property you'd have, once again, you'd have uh, legal fees and probably agents commissions. Yeah, you take the difference of those and then, um, you apply a 50% discount if you've held the asset for more than 12 months. And then it's just assessed at your normal marginal rate. Okay. That's the general way of calculating the capital gains tax. Now, there's all sorts of rollover provisions that, that apply um, from assets that come from a deceased estate. Um, you inherit that. Um, it depends when the deceased acquired the asset and what type of asset it is as to what the cost base is. But the automatic rollover provisions apply, so you don't have to actually pay any tax until such times as you dispose of the asset. Now, we spoke last week briefly on estate planning, and this can be a big issue that if um, someone's passed away and someone else goes in and cleans out the house and throws out all the old records, it can be quite expensive recreating the cost base on large share portfolios and stuff if someone's thrown out the records. So, so be careful what you've thrown away. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen Pritchard. That's Thursday Finance for today, and we look forward to it again next Thursday after the midday news. Coming up is the news in three minutes' time, and then Business, the Law, and you, along with Julian Campbell. And you can catch these programs on podcast.